Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. In praying for our service this weekend, I had a direction that I was headed toward and really felt like that's the direction I wanted to go. And then I had a couple of relational interactions this week and a couple of things uh, that I heard. It took me down a little bit different path, and I wanted to share that with you today. Are y'all ready for for God's word today? Okay, the the rest of you, it's coming, whether you like it, whether you like it or not. Our title today... And what I want to talk to you about, if you're taking notes, is wet cement. Wet cement. You're saying, Pastor Don, how is wet cement and church work at the same time? I don't get it. Well, don't worry. You will. I know for many, this, this time that we've had Thanksgiving with family and close friends um, can be a blessing, right? Something we don't get to do often enough. Uh, but I also know that for others... Times with family and close friends can be difficult, and it can be trying, and it can be a challenge. It can be heavy in different ways. In some ways, you should feel rested and recharged after a holiday, but yet many of us feel tense and stressed. Why is that? You thought about it? Why is that? Why do some relationships recharge us and other relationships deplete us? And I want to discuss a topic today that Jesus addresses. It's a necessary component of everyone's life and one that has implications on our eternity. You all ready today? Here's, here's what we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about resolving relational conflict. Resolving relational conflict. Now, I know I just lost more than half of you right there. Stay with me. We're going to see what's going on. And if you'll forgive me for just a second, Stefan, we got to get that low end cut out. You know your pastor was a sound guy way back in the day? Uh, I was. I was. Most Sundays I was up there in the booth where Stefan is in the hot seat. Um, y'all give it up for Stefan. He's... Y'all do know it, it don't matter how good the message is if you can't hear it. It, it don't happen. Thank you, Stefan. Probably around 200 hertz. I'm not showing off. It's just bugging me. I'm sorry. My prayer today is to be able to equip you with a perspective and some tools from Scripture um, that will encourage you to make the most of the conflict that will come in your life. Because here's what I know. Even in this room, there are brothers that are not on speaking terms with each other. There are children who no longer feel comfortable enough confiding in mom and dad. There are marriages that are less like covenantal relationships and more like contractual arrangements. And there are people that feel looked over, passed over, unappreciated, taken advantage of, all because of this one topic, and it's relational conflict, relational conflict. Kayla and I have been married for 17 years, and this spring we'll make 18 if I dot all my I's and cross all my T's and take care. All right, don't, yeah, applaud, don't applaud for the one who won the lottery. Applaud for the one who has to put up with, with, with me. 
For the first six months of our marriage, I really thought, now this is a true story, I promise you, I thought I was like, had this marriage thing figured out. Like I was God's gift to marriage. I had sat under the great Pastor Jacob Aranza, had sat through so many marriage sermons over all my life. I thought for sure I had this thing figured out. For the first six months, we didn't have one argument. Not one fight, not one disagreement. Everything I wanted miraculously showed up. It was great. It was phenomenal. I promise you, I thought I had this marriage thing figured out. This is great. And then it happened. The first conflict, the first meltdown. It was about 10.30 p.m. one night when it just started coming. Of course, I'm thinking, whoa, where did this come from? But again, I'm energetic. I'm in. Let's, what do we got to do? So I'm leaning up, sitting up on the bed, Indian style, got my sleeves rolled up. Talk to me. Tell me what, what, what's going on. And I learned something in that moment that I wish somebody would have told me earlier about conflict. Because here's, here's what I knew growing up in my household. In my household, this is how it went. If, if mama wasn't happy, nobody was happy. Anybody else grow up in a household like that? We had dinner at the kitchen table every single night. And that's where we talked about three boys. My grandfather was command sergeant major of the army. My mom grew up in in a military base most her whole life. So conflict was not something that was shied away from in the Norman household. If you needed to say it, you said it. It's one of those, you may not like where I'm going, but you'll know exactly where I stand um, in, in the middle of that. And I just assumed because conflict had always come to me, that if there was no conflict coming, then there was no conflict present. Yeah, some of y'all know the assumption that I made and how foolish that was. But I didn't realize that Kayla grew up in a completely different environment where conflict wasn't on the forefront every single time there was something that was wrong. And here's, here's the lesson that I learned that day, and I'm going to unpack a little bit more as we go. An absence of conflict isn't an indicator of health. It's an indicator of poor communication. If you go through life and there is no conflict in your relationships, somebody's not being honest. Either they're not being honest with you or you're not being honest with yourself. Here's what I need you to know. Conflict isn't negative. Conflict is neutral. It can build up or it can destroy. But I promise you, conflict is an absolute part of every single relationship. Can my married people in the crowd say amen and help me out here a little bit? Some of us think that if we avoid conflict, the relationship will be better. It was Patrick Lencioni who said this. He calls this absence of conflict an artificial harmony. Artificial harmony. You think everything's going well, but it's not. And as we're about to see, your ability to resolve earthly conflicts will have eternal implications. Earthly relationships, eternal implications. Conflict can build intimacy or it can drain it from every single relationship. And it's not if you have conflict, it's how you handle it that makes all the difference. Right? It's not a temperament thing. You may think that some temperaments are more prone to conflict and some, some are, are not and all that. Your temperament, how you're wired, won't determine your amount of conflict, whether you're aggressive or passive. But it will impact how you have to grow through the conflict in a healthy manner. I'll give you some examples Back to my story with Kayla, each of us had to learn in this conflict. For her, she had to learn that her voice matters. Women, can I hear you? 
Her voice matters. She has something to say and something to contribute to the relationship. I had to learn that my voice doesn't matter all that much. I know it's hard to hear, right? It doesn't matter as much as I think that it did in the middle. Her voice matters. Mine doesn't matter as much. We both had something we had to learn. She had to learn that she carries equal weight and equal value in the relationship. Equal weight, equal value in the relationship. For me, I had to understand that's God's gift to me. And half of the wisdom, half of the the, the maturity that's going to come in our marriage is going to come through her, not necessarily all through me. I had to understand that I'm half the leader God wants me to be if I don't have that half of the perspective that he has given us. You'll see what I'm talking about. You've got to learn through the conflict. For her, she had to learn that her role as a helpmate requires her to speak up and let me know. It, it requires her to kick me under the table or elbow me if I'm going somewhere or saying something that I shouldn't be saying in the middle of that. My role as a helpmate, I had to learn, requires me to go looking if there's not conflict coming in the middle of that. Because conflict is a part of every healthy relationship. We had two different temperaments, but each with room to grow in our ability to resolve conflict. Now, I have been accused of being a conflict junkie. I don't know if you know what that means. Let me define it for you. A conflict junkie, somebody who just goes looking for conflict. Ask the staff. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. No, the truth is, I don't go looking for conflict. What I do is I go looking for good, healthy communication. Because I've seen that conflict can build intimacy. And some of the closest, most intimate relationships in my life are ones that we've overcome conflict in a healthy way. And I want that kind of intimacy in our relationship. It's what emboldens me to stand up here and talk about an uncomfortable subject. Like like developing and resolving relational conflict. Because I want that intimacy for you and your relationships. I, I don't like it when brothers can't get along. I don't like it when marriages have deteriorated and there's no intimacy there. It's just a contractual arrangement. And you go here and I'll do this. And you take them to the sports thing and I'll do dance. And we just pass like ships in the night, but we never have anything. We're growing together. Your ability to resolve conflict will change the depth of your relationships. And if you're crazy enough like me to believe that the kingdom of God is built upon relationships, you'll want to do something about it. Everything God will do in your life will come in the form of a relationship. Even salvation itself comes in the form of a relationship with his son, Jesus. Repeat this with me. Healthy conflict builds intimacy. And this is why there's hope for your broken relationships. You can learn to recognize conflict as opportunity, not dysfunction. It's an opportunity. You can learn new ways to handle it with health And you can restore intimacy to your broken relationships. But can I tell you, you can't do it by avoiding conflict. A leaky roof won't fix itself, will it? It'll just continue to get worse and worse and worse. I'll never forget the time Pastor Sean and I were on the phone. I can tell you exactly where I was standing. I was at our Midtown campus, walking up and down the streets in the surrounding neighborhood. I used to take my phone calls on a walk. And Pastor Sean and I were having a conversation, started to get heated, and he said this to me, and you can appreciate Pastor Sean. He said, well, Pastor Don, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear, or do you want me to tell you what I really need to say? That's a bold thing to tell your pastor and your boss, is it not? 
But I can remember exactly where I was thinking, this is the kind of relationship I want us to have. No, man, you better tell me exactly how it is. I need that. I want it. I want to take it. I can tell you exactly where I was when I was sitting in my truck with Isaac White right next to me. And he said, Pastor Don, can you explain something that you said? I don't want to misunderstand you, but I can't get past the way you said it. And I remember thinking in that moment, this is the kind of intimacy I want us to have in a relationship that you'd be willing to confront something that's there that I didn't know was there. And in all my important relationships, I go looking for conflict because I know there's intimacy on the other side of it. I'm looking for healthy communication. Y'all with me in the middle of this? Because again, I hope you understand the heart behind this is not to get up here with some self-help thing like relational conflict or something, but we're all dealing with it. And we all deal with it from different perspectives. And here's, here's the thing I appreciate most. Ruth Graham is the wife of Billy Graham. Y'all know Billy Graham, the evangelist? This is what Ruth Graham says about conflict. She says, if two people agree on everything, there's no need for one of them. Let that sober you up for just a second. If two people agree on everything, there's no need for one of them. If you've got your notes, I'm going to give you a couple thoughts Tie this into scripture and let you see how God's word can help affect the relationships that you have. I'm going to give you three truths about resolving relational conflict. Here we go. Number one, the quality of your life will be determined by how well you resolve conflict. The quality of your life will be determined by how well you resolve conflict. Remember, it will either build intimacy or it will drain it from your relationships. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Verse 23 through 24, this is Jesus speaking. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Here's what he says, this is Jesus. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. First be reconciled, then come and and offer your gift. Did he just say that your relationships are more important than your religion? Sure sounds like it, doesn't it? The fact that God would be so concerned about the way you interact with people horizontally this way, that he would say, it's okay to stop what you're doing and worshiping this way if this isn't in order. You gotta get this, there's some importance that was placed there, the quality of your relationships horizontally this way will impact the quality of your relationship vertically this way with God. Conflict is like wet cement. Wet cement. I know this is what you're saying. Okay, Pastor Don, what are you talking about? Wet cement. Anybody know what this is? Some of you say, this is old Cajun anchor. You put a bolt on the end of this and drop this off. This block... Solid concrete. Now, don't be distracted by the fact that your pastor just picked that up without grunting. Because <laughs> he's still trying to catch his breath a little bit. You can build a lot of things with this. You can build a lot, right? Cinder blocks you can make with concrete. This can be a firm post for your deck. You can do a lot with this concrete. Big arches that we look at big overpasses that we drive over every single day. We don't think about 
the conflict and the concrete because we want to build the things. You, you look at a marriage that you see and you're like, man, I want a marriage like that. I want something strong, something that will endure, something that, that you can put weight on. How many of you want your marriage to be able to carry weight in the middle of that? Let your, let your family be able to come and put the pressure on us, son, because we can handle it. I can, I can handle a meltdown because our marriage is strong in the middle of that. What we don't realize is that conflict is not like concrete in that way. Conflict is like wet cement. It's sloshy. That's how it starts. You don't start with this. You start with this. You start with what, you, you have an interaction, a conversation, and somebody says something that, that you don't appreciate or that doesn't catch you the right way. It's like they poured a bucket of wet cement right in the middle of the relationship. And here's the problem with wet cement. You gotta deal with it. Now, wet cement can be fashioned and formed into some really impressive things. This room you're sitting in, there's concrete in those walls. You can build a lot with concrete. There's nothing wrong, inherently wrong, with wet concrete. If you deal with it while it's wet, you can shape it and mold it with a hand trowel. But if you let it go unattended and you let it harden, I promise you Cecil's going to be the first one to grab this bucket by the time my message is finished today. Because if he doesn't get that bucket cleaned out, what's going to be left there in the middle of that bucket? A hard, useless rock of cement. And what could have been formed and shaped and put to good purpose with a hand trowel, now you got to use a jackhammer to get it out. And some of us have grown so accustomed to avoiding conflict because of the effort that it takes. Nobody's ever taught you that if you deal with it while it's wet, you can shape it into something valuable. Every strong marriage that you see carrying weight, every leader you see carrying weight, that impact, that's conflict that's been shaped. It's been molded, and now it's something that can carry weight because it's been shaped and formed. It's also been protected. You ever had an opportunity to resolve something with somebody and you cleared the air a little bit and it's like you just poured a fresh slab of concrete? How many times have you seen somebody pour a nice slab of concrete and then they take off and leave it? No, they're hanging around. No dog, no duck, no child, no nobody's rocking through this cement. I don't want footprints in there in the middle of it. It needs to be protected and I want you to think about conflict in that way because the quality of your life, what you'll be able to build with your life and how God can build with you will be determined by how you deal with that bucket of wet cement between the relationships in your life. Are y'all following me so far? Wet cement, relational conflict. Well, Pastor Don, how do you begin to address wet cement in a relationship then? Here's number two, my second point for you today. Healthy conflict must begin directly with that person. You got to go straight to them, directly with that person. Matthew 18 says it this way. I'm going to teach you, teach you this from, from God's word. Verse 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. Who? Alone. Take out an ad in the newspaper. Go to social media with your thumbs. What does it say to do? Well, he should know what he did, Pastor Don. I shouldn't have to tell him. That's not what scripture says. Matter of fact, if you come to me, I'm not getting involved. 
The first thing you'll hear me say if you tell me about a conflict you're having with somebody else, the first thing I'll say is, man, I'm sorry, I know that's tough. Second thing out of my mouth is, what did they say when you told them? What did they say? Well, I haven't told them yet. Okay, that's where we need to start. I can help you, but not if we don't start there. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, watch this, so good. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The goal isn't to be right. The goal is to gain a stronger relationship. Remember, conflict is an opportunity. This offense that existed between these two people was simply an opportunity. It's wet cement. What are you going to build with it? You've got to go directly to that person. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let me unpack this progression for you so you can understand what God's word is teaching you about relational conflict. He's teaching you a model of increasing in relational trust. The first step is to go directly to that person. Why? Because you would think the trust between the relationship would be enough to resolve that conflict. But if it's not, he's saying, hey, bring somebody along with you. Now, here's where a lot of people mess up. I have an issue with Chris up here on the front row, and I'm just like, man, I just can't get over it. And I try to bring it to him. Chris, the other day, you should have sold me that color group when we were playing Monopoly the other night, and you didn't. And it cost both of us the game. We both lost because you weren't willing to trade in, in, in the middle. This is a true story, by the way. I'm, I'm airing out some grievances in front, in front of everybody. No. The problem is when Chris says, no, I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't think, okay, well, then I'm going to go. and Well, Tyler, you believe what he did, and I'm going to grab Tyler, and Tyler and I are going to come because it says if, if he doesn't listen to me, that I get to bring somebody along, and you miss it. What I should be doing is grabbing somebody that he trusts and appreciates and say, hey, Kristen, can you help Chris and I? Because I know you know him, and I know you know his heart, and I know he has more trust in you than he does in me, and I could be wrong here. But I value the relationship so much, I'm not gonna go look for somebody that I find trustworthy. I'm gonna go look for somebody that he finds trustworthy in the middle. Y'all follow me? Okay, because then, if Kristen and Chris can't deal with this monopoly issue that I have, then we're gonna come before the church and we're going to air it out. No, what is it saying? It's saying there's a level of trust that both relationships should have. And if it takes going up to the church, if it takes sitting down with a pastor, if it takes sitting down with somebody in leadership to help you, then that's what we're willing to do because the relationship is so important. It's wet cement. We want to form something useful out of it. But you got to start with that person and you got to go with them directly and then you increase in trust as you go. Are y'all with me? How many of you learning something today about conflict? I'm trying to help you. Don't do it backwards, right? Don't do it backwards. Don't come to your pastor. Don't go to social media and then let them be the last one to find out in the middle of this. You've given too much time for the wet cement to harden and you wonder like, why is this always so difficult? Because you're taking too long to deal with it. If you would deal with it soon, you could shape it and you could form it. Now, the next part of this passage is very important, but it's a little tricky, so I'm going to have to unpack it just a little bit. Remember, this is the very next verse. Go to somebody. Bring a trusted friend. Go to the church if you can. Very next verse, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, 
And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There's a lot happening in that passage. But remember, the context here, what Jesus is talking about, is how to deal with relational conflict. So what is he talking about, about two or more of you agreeing and, and bounding on earth and, and loosing? And all? Listen, here's my take. This is how I've seen this fleshed out in my relationship. And I think this is where this passage is headed. When my kids fight and they're in conflict, I have a choice to make. I can jump in the middle of it and solve it and set it and put him in this corner and him in this corner and I can do all that. Or I can look at them and my son's sitting on the front row and I can say, listen, you guys can figure this out or I'll figure this out. Now, if you can figure it out, whatever you decide that causes this conflict to be resolved and y'all can maintain this relationship, I'm all in that. I'm in. I'm in for whatever you guys think would resolve this conflict, right? If you'll do it and restore the relationship, I'm in. But if I have to do it, then both of you are doing it the way I want to do it, and I think you're going to be better off solving it among yourselves. That's what I think he's sitting here saying. If the two or three of you can handle this conflict among yourself, you'll be showing me you understand my heart for your relationship, right? How many times do we go to God to solve something that could be resolved if we just went to that other person? God, I need you to change their heart. I would if you talked to him. God, I need him to apologize. He will when you tell him what he did. But God, I'm just, I'm going to wait here until he gets a word from you. I'm trying to give you one. Go talk to him so that I can speak to both of you. If the two of you would come together and agree on this, I'm all in it in heaven. This is what I'm trying to happen in your life. Are y'all with me? Have I lost anybody yet? Pastor Don, I would. I'd like to go with him. I'd like to go to him. How many of you have this problem? I just don't know what to say. I just, I just don't know how to say it. Here's my third point for you today. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is straight from scripture. Jesus's words, Matthew 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I know most of you are familiar with that passage. You're having a conversation with somebody. This may not happen to you, but it happens to me often uh, as a pastor. People don't find out I'm a pastor till later in a conversation. And usually there's a, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. You ever been talking with somebody and that little F-bomb slips out, right? Like, ooh. And then this, I'm sorry, I didn't know where that came from. <laughs> I know where it came from. It came from your heart. That's where it is, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Those things wouldn't be coming out of your mouth if they weren't rooted somewhere in your heart, I'm not saying you meant to say it. I'm just saying they don't just pop up somewhere in your throat. They start in your heart. Can I tell you something? You never have to worry about what to say when walking into conflict if you'll take a minute and set your heart for that person first. Kayla and I were working through conflict early on in our marriage last week. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Early on in our marriage. I'm the more articulate of the two. 
I do a significantly more amount of speaking and communicating and talking. And early on, I didn't realize that she was intimidated by the ability to put words together. I don't lose debates. I can debate with the best of them. I, I, just, I just can. And I didn't realize that there were things she needed to say that she didn't feel like she could say as cleverly or as articulate as I could, so she just wouldn't say them. You with me? But I had to go looking for this because I, I realized later on, I'm not God's gift to marriage and if I'm gonna be the leader God has for me, then I need what's in her to come out. And I remember having this conversation with her one day and this, this, this came out and it was so good and so God and it has helped us so much, I wanna share this with you. And I said, baby, listen, I give you permission to say the right thing in the wrong way. You don't have to say it the right way in order for me to receive it. I wanna know the right thing. And if it takes you saying it the wrong way three or four times to finally get out what you're trying to communicate, then I want it. I want it. You'll never have to worry about what comes out of your mouth if you'll set your heart toward that person. God, they hurt me, but I know they love you. And I know the kind of man that he desires to be. I know the kind of woman of God that she desires to be. And I pray, Father, that you would give me the words not to get defensive, but I want to set my heart to them and come to them and say, this is what you said and this is how it made me feel. Can I have permission to say what I think is the right thing that may come across in the wrong way? All right, I'm trying to help you in the middle of this. Ephesians 4, 29, Paul chips in on how to resolve conflict. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building. Building who? Building yourself? No, helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may, what, what get, your, get your point across? That it may help you get your point? No, no, no. That it may benefit those who listen. Let the words that come out of your mouth be helpful for building others up the way they need to be built up so that it can benefit them, not necessarily benefit you. Isn't it fascinating how the person who poured this concrete is providing something to somebody that will benefit them? That bucket, if it hardens, ain't gonna benefit anybody, especially not Cecil. Y'all pray for Cecil that I finish this message soon so that concrete doesn't get too too hard. Conflict is like wet cement. What am I saying? Pastor, you have to handle it quickly. You have to handle it directly. And you have to handle it unselfishly. If any of those are missing, you're going to end up with a mess that needs a jackhammer, not something that can be shaped and useful. I want you to be in relationship with that sibling that you haven't spoken to. I want your kids to be able to confide in you. I want you to have the intimacy that your marriage desperately needs that you've been craving for and waiting for and yearning for. Pastor Don, didn't you say our ability to resolve conflict has eternal implications? I'm glad you asked, let's dig in. Let's review our points. Number one, I said the quality of your life is determined by how well you resolve conflict. You remember that? If the quality of your life is determined by how well you resolve conflict, then my question to you is, what will you do with the conflict of sin? What will you do with the conflict of sin? You do know that our sin has created a conflict in our relationship with God. How we deal with that will determine what kind of life can be built with us. What kind of life he can use and what type of life he can shape. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Who's included in all? I am and you are. All of us have sinned and fallen short. 1 John 1, 8 through 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What are you going to do with the conflict of sin in your life? One of the biggest obstacles to reconciling conflict is somebody has to go first. Isn't that the hard part? I know I need to go, but they're going to go, and I need to go. How many of you are grateful that when it came to the issue of sin in our lives, God took the first step? And I I want that to sink in for just a second, because if you're sitting there and the weight of your sin is so heavy, and you feel like, I can't move, I know I need to speak up, I know I need to say something, I know I need to come forward, I need to tell somebody, but I don't think I can take the first step. Let me help you. You're not. You're taking the second step. God's already taken the first step. Look at this, Romans 5, 8. But God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent Jesus while we were still in our sin. I've heard it said religion is man's attempt to get to God. But Christianity is God's effort to get to man. God has taken the first step. You do know the root word for confession is agreement, right? That's what it means to confess your sins. means to come to agreement that it is the way God says it is. God, I see this the way you see it. It is separated from you. It's not healthy for me. It's damaged my relationships with others. It's keeping me from having the kind of life that you would have me live. God, I confess my sin before you. If I continue to do this, I'm going to treat what Jesus did for me as garbage, and I don't want to, Father. I confess. I agree that this is wrong in my life. And if you and God haven't dealt with the sin in your life, you're in the middle of a relational conflict. You're in the middle of a relational conflict. James 4, 4 shows us this. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? That word enmity means hostility. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Second point I told you earlier, healthy conflict must begin directly with the offended. What's the eternal implication here? If healthy conflict must begin directly with the offended, how do we approach the Father? How do we approach the Father? Man has tried to approach God in many different ways. My mom and papa went to church every single day. I should be able to approach God on the basis of how they live their lives. Pastor John, I grew up in church. You don't understand. My mom practically gave birth to me on this pew that she's been sitting in for 30 years. I grew up in church. You can't approach the Father on the basis of where you went to church. Pastor John, you don't understand. I, I did good things. You cannot approach the Father on the basis of the things you do. Pastor, I mean, come on. I did the best I knew how. Can I tell you the best you knew how? If it isn't through Jesus, it's not a way to approach the Father. I love you enough to tell you, Jesus said this in his way. There's only one way to approach the Father, through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father. What does that say? Except through me. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So, so we just confess, Pastor, we just speak up, that's it? That's all we have to do, confess and, and, and speak up? Remember my third point? When I said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But if out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you can't confess him as Lord if it isn't the desire of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Some of you haven't been able to say Jesus is Lord over this area in my life because your heart is still holding on to it tight and you haven't surrendered that to him. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. Well, Pastor John, how do I know if it's the desire of my heart? Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can, I, who can understand it? You and I need a heart change from the inside out. Jesus said it this way, you must be born again. John chapter 3, I tell you the story often. Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus who wants desperately to get to the Father. And Jesus is trying to reveal to him, this is how you do it. It's through me. There are two births that need to happen in your life. One comes from a woman and the other comes from the Spirit. One of them is preceded by water, and the other one is preceded by the work of the Spirit in your life. And he walks through this, this encounter with Nicodemus, this religious man, and he helps him understand that when the Holy Spirit does a work inside of you, it awakens something inside of you, and it starts to change you from the inside out. I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute. I don't need you looking or moving around. I just need you listening to my voice and the voice of the Holy Spirit, who I pray is speaking to you right now. Because I told you that the quality of your relationships horizontally, the earthly relationships, will affect your relationship vertically, your relationship with God. But the opposite is true also. Those who have understood how much they've been forgiven and have been reconciled with God vertically will become much better at forgiving and reconciling horizontally with others. And I'd venture to say that there are some here in this room right now that are having a hard time with relational conflict with family, relational conflict with your friends, relational conflict with those close relationships because you've never taken the time to deal with the conflict of sin between you and our Heavenly Father. Can I tell you, there is a bucket of wet cement before you and if you'll allow the Holy Spirit to show you how he can shape it into some amazing things. He can take a broken past and redeem it and give it a future that other people can follow. He will take hurt and make it health so that other people can see what healthy looks like. And it may be that you're having a difficult time with your earthly relationships because you haven't been born again. You say, Pastor Don, how do I know if I've been born again? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'll tell you, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit. 
If you can admit that your sin has separated you from a righteous and holy father, that it's kept you from living the kind of life that God would have for you to live. If you can admit that, then the Holy Spirit has already begun to do a work inside your heart, changing you from the inside out. B, belief that God sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect and sinless life, the life you could not live, and he paid the debt you could not pay. And he came and sacrificed his life for yours. If you can believe that in your heart, the Holy Spirit is working on you on the inside. A, admit. B, believe. C, confess. That you can confess, that you can agree that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. That his way is better. You're willing to give him the ability to lead. For some of you, it's getting out of the driver's seat. And not just getting into the passenger seat, but getting into the back seat, saying, God, you can lead. You can take me where you want me to go. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I've never been born again before. Something that happens only once in your life, this work of the Spirit, shows you your sin, shows you the salvation of Jesus, and gives you the power and the ability to lead a life in submission to him. Say, Pastor Don, I've never raised my hand to be born again, but I sure would like to. God is doing something in my heart. I've got some relational conflict, but I know this conflict I have with the Father, and I'm ready to deal with it today. If you're telling me, Pastor Don, that he took the first step, then I'll take the second step. And if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you or single you out in any way. But I am going to ask you to raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying with. If you're here and you say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me to be born again? I'm ready to admit, I believe, and I'm ready to confess. I want to invite you right there where you're seated. Raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying with. Go ahead and raise your hand. Put it up. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Anybody else up in the balcony? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. If you raise your hand, you can put them down. I'm going to ask one more time, and then we're going to pray. Pastor Don, the Holy Spirit's doing a work in my life. I'm seeing my relationship with God in a new way, and I want to be born again. I want to be right in my relationship with God. I didn't raise my hand before, but I'm raising it right now. Let me see your hands before we pray one last time. Thank you. I see your hand. I'm glad I asked again. All right, you can put your hands down. Church, we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask every single one of us to pray together, but especially those of you that raised your hand. Church, say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who raise their hand and be born again?